You wouldn't buy a car without a seatbelt, a laptop without Wi-Fi, or go a day without your cell phone. Could a business survive without the internet? Then why are many healthcare providers and provider organizations still not connected and enabled to share critical clinical information digitally in the care of your friends and family? Welcome to Notify, a podcast from Notu. Join host Dr. Peter Schock, Chief Health Officer, and Teresa Bell, Founder, President, and CTO, as they bring the profound impact of healthcare communication to life through frank conversation in understandable language and through real-world context, they'll demystify interoperability, helping you unlock the potential of healthcare communication at scale. You'll also learn the transformative impact of being no two connected. Connect. Connect. Listen. Listen. Transform. Transform. Welcome, everyone, to our first episode of Notify, a podcast by No2. I'm Dr. Peter Schuck, your host. With me is Teresa Bell, your co-host. And we're so happy to have you here. The topic of our conversation today specifically is interoperability. Stop trying to explain it and just help me. Since this is our first podcast and these people may or may not know who we are, love to have them tell you a little bit about yourself, and I'll be happy to, to give a little introduction as well. Yeah, you bet. I didn't uh, realize this was about interoperability. I thought we were having a different discussion today. <laughs> I would like a little heads up on that. Excellent. Yeah, excellent. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, Well, thank you, Dr. Shuck. I'm, uh, first of all, really excited to be able to do this podcast today Um, and what I hope to be a a great series and a great educational series for the public. We know that interoperability apparently is continuing to be the longest subject in healthcare discussed forever. Uh, We're now years and years in. I always say I'm I'm looking forward to... uh, the first hymns, which is the the big national healthcare show that I go to, where interoperability isn't the main topic. Could you imagine one of those shows where nobody uses the word at all uh, because, because it's happening? All, yeah, because it's happening. We all know what it means, and we're actually seeing the impact. I, I can't it. imagine because I don't know what I will have no value there. So I, they won't That's invite not me. True at all. They won't not invite me. Just kidding. Not true. At all. Tell us a little bit about No Two and why you founded No Two and. I've known you for a number of years. They don't know you like I know you. So uh, please share that story because I think it's a great story. Yeah, I would love to. Uh, so I started the company roughly about 12 years ago and myself and another co-founder uh, with the mission that we would solve what we see, what we believe to be the most difficult uh, issue in healthcare. And that was connectivity, getting connectivity at scale for every provider organization and letting patient information flow. Um, We're here now 12 years later uh, as sitting as the largest communication network in healthcare and have worked really hard against that vision. So one, it was set out technically to connect uh, to every major source of information and every major workflow and continue that mission today. We have a group of people that are dedicated to that uh, to that mission. The second part of the the mission was to not go after, I always say, where the dollars were falling. We didn't go to health systems. We didn't go to the acute and the ambulatory providers like uh, a lot of the stimulus money went to. You're uh, talking about for the meaningful use stuff. Absolutely. Right. right. Care, and right? that's yep. where a lot of, I would say, health technology vendors were focused to, rightfully so, uh, because that's where the money was going. We actually chose, you could argue the, the logic of it, but we chose to go the other direction and chose to go to the underserved or what we call the overlooked markets, um, which includes post-acute, vision, dental, behavioral, EMS, uh, and now is expanding even past those markets, but bring connectivity to them because we knew with the challenge that we were solving, the audience that was going to need it the most uh, over the course of the next decade or so was going to be in those care settings. So um, today we serve as the default 
for interoperability in those care settings, absolutely recognized as the name. Uh, that's bringing connectivity. Uh, I always say there we're connecting them to mainstream healthcare, and we're you know we've we're fulfilling that mission every day. The mission hasn't changed. I'd say it's even stronger today than it's ever been. Uh, and thrilled, thrilled to be here. Yeah, and that's fantastic. And and I, they don't know this, but we met probably eight nine years ago. Now I've, I've been saying eight years for probably two years, so it might be closer <laughs> to ten years um, at this point. But uh, and uh, when you guys were actually were just a couple years into the industry and kind of sorting out, you had the idea, had the technology, and kind of sorting out what your niche was going to be, and we're going through those processes. And I remember us talking about the path you guys chose, not just to market from a standpoint of looking at the underserved markets, meaning the post-acute market, the ambulatory market, those that didn't receive stimulus dollars, but also this philosophy of democratizing the exchange of healthcare information, really enabling information to flow freely. So as I like to say, at the end of the day, providers have all the information they need to provide top patient care, top clinical outcomes, top patient experience, and they're competing on what they do with that, not trying to get data, right, yeah. um, uh, as we currently exist now. So that's the utopia that, that I think uh, really attracted me when I uh, heard you guys were starting eight years ago. So my story is I've been an advisor to the company for those eight years. I'm an internist by training, practice for about 20 years um, in various settings, physician-owned and operated multi-specialty practices. Um, so I understand what it's like to run a practice. I understand what it's like to implement EHRs, have implemented three different EHRs um, across my uh, uh, clinical career. Um, after about 20 years of clinical practice, which are some of the greatest memories and, and, and uh, happiest moments of my professional life, because the privilege to be part of somebody's highest and lowest moments and the trust they place in you, it's hard to come by. And as a provider, I don't, uh, I miss that um, uh, from direct patient care. But I realized that even though I was having an impact on an individual life or a family associated with that life, in order to have a broader impact, I probably needed to have a different seat at the table because the things that were wrong with healthcare were systemic problems with healthcare and the way we deliver it and so forth. So I stepped out of uh, clinical practice about 16 years ago and have been a physician executive for the last 16 years, working in two large health systems, um, one in the Midwest, one in the South, both national footprints. Um, and I did a lot of different things uh, in the early years, but I settled in in uh, value-based care and population health and served as the population health leader for each system um, as um, uh, over the last uh, seven to 10 years. So I've run clinically integrated networks of significant size. I've run ACOs, uh, done uh, risk-based contracting, direct employer contracting, had responsibility for our post-acute entities, our home care agencies, hospice agencies, DME and infusion companies, both from a strategic perspective and an operational perspective. So I felt I was making an impact, um, but the impact was slow as it often is in large institutions like healthcare and like health systems, not demonizing them, just saying they're built for stability. And it's very difficult to be innovative within um, uh, a large health system. So while we we're making impact, it wasn't necessarily as quickly as I wanted to make impact. And, uh, you know, you and I had been talking, had been advising the company off and on for eight years. The timing seemed right. And what I realized was through this single patented communications API that you developed 12 years ago, and a plan you sketched on the back of a napkin that grew into what No2 is today, there was an opportunity to take my subject matter expertise and my life experience as a clinician and healthcare executive, bring it to bear for a technology that was patented unique in a company that had a great philosophy how to distribute that and really make an impact. And one of the things you said to me, and I love it when you say it, because 
I have bias around it, but I love it when you say it. <laughs> um, um, uh, but uh, around taking a excellent technology company and making it an impactful, meaningful technology company in healthcare. And I, it was just the right third step in my career um, where I could put all that to you. So that's why I'm here. I've been here about, uh, gosh, I, it's, we're just starting. It's been just this year, about six weeks, eight weeks. So we're just starting. And I'm really, really looking forward uh, to the work ahead because I do think, you said this earlier, Teresa, and I don't want to uh, gloss over it. I believe that through this simple communications API, the strategy that Node2 has taken that we do have the ability to solve some of healthcare's biggest problems because at the heart of it is the free flow of clinical information at the point of care. Well, I will, as we looked at and I explained what the mission of the company was um, and the development of technology around that mission, uh, it did, what came out of that was a, a single API, a single communications API that a technology vendor, uh, whatever, wherever they may be sitting in, in the technology space can connect once and communicate everywhere. Um, and share information from, you know, whether it's a, you know, a PDF all the way to fully structured information uh, and be able to do that with whoever, whoever the constituent was. We were narrowly focused to these audiences and making sure we brought it to them. But out of that, and, it, and I would like to say that it was a plan of the company. It wasn't, um, but it became a fortunate outcome of the company and that, that APIs. We've been able to take it to vendors that are serving, we're, we're watching different vendors and very innovative technology come out of the, come out of healthcare today, um, where our communications API can support exactly what they need to yeah. do. So it's exciting. So while we've, we continue to stay focused to the overlooked markets, um, our communications API is really open to any audience, any technology vendor, any health technology vendor. Uh, and you'll find it on our website where you can go from a you know, a Xerox, I always use that example because people are like a Xerox device or a Konica Minolta device that's sitting in the office of a and provider. immediately connects you to the entire... And, and be able to system. capture PHI and send it anywhere. All, all the way to a, you know, a digital health vendor, remote patient monitoring, we do a ton in that space, to electronic health records. It doesn't matter. Um, we, like all profiles of vendors fit because of the flexibility of the communication API and the way it was approached. Yeah, so I'm really proud of, that, of that. All of that being moved securely and HIPAA compliantly. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and absolutely. interoperably. Yeah. And in what? Inter I mean, do I, interoperably. Are we using yeah, yeah, that yeah. word here? Love that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so one more thing before we get to the actual topic today, um, just about Note 2, because there are probably people listening to this podcast or watching it that say, well, who the heck is Note 2? I, I've never heard of them. Um, and I, I know that we've had conversation over the last couple of years about another company many, many years ago who was kind of that silent partner that made a lot of things better. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, that's, that was actually, that I can say was very intentional yeah. uh, in our, in our plan, our business development plan and our marketing plan is that we would continue to stay behind the scenes and work with partners. So we weren't going to try to be this, the front seat. We weren't going to try to be the name that everybody knew, but yet enable great technology companies to be better because of what we do behind, behind the scenes for them. So um, we are becoming a household name today, uh, not because we push it that way, just because of the time that we're spending in the market, but we still... Uh, we still do a lot behind the scenes. We're often private labeled. So we sit underneath the product name and they just embed communication as a capability within their software. So absolutely was intentional and it's played out that way. But. Yeah. And I love that. It's kind of the, it's kind of the way that Wi-Fi, Intel inside um, Bluetooth is, right? I mean, we're, we're the solution behind making the connection um, and doing all the backend plumbing. Um, or wiring, however you want to call it, whether you want to use a plumbing or electrical analogy, 
um, and they're putting the uh, user interface on top of it um, that allows it to, uh, uh, I think, be used by uh, end users in that regard. So. Uh, yeah, we that, that, that we tripped on that, and that one in marketing, we we purposely. I was twenty eighteen ish, where we we kept asking ourselves, is what does it mean to be no two connected? Yeah, and what does it mean to be no two connected? And that that is a very personal definition to the to the technology vendor, but that phrase stuck, and we actually went to uh, build a mark that was no two connected, where instead of no two being you know from the headlights or from the spotlight that were you know, way out there in front of everybody, it's, it's a mark simply like the Bluetooth example yeah. is when you see Bluetooth on a device or, you know, it's going to work. Right. And that's absolutely the intention of no two. And you know, it's going to work when it has no two as a, as yeah, a there are many different brands of headphones, right. But if they have the Bluetooth logo on it, you it's know, all I, all I have know. to do is click the Bluetooth yep. toggle on my phone and I'm connected in yep. it, right. Or my computer. So, uh, very much like that. So, uh, love it. Um, Wonderful. Let's get into the topic today because this is a topic that you know you and I have. We just uh, are giving uh, a couple of presentations over the next uh, few weeks related to this particular topic, um, and that is I, I I do believe that interoperability is a technical has at its core a technical problem um, to solve. The challenge is once that technical problem is solved, we got to stop talking about it and stop start talking about what it actually means to be interoperable and use the technology because I think that has significant impact. I'm not sure I said that as well as I'd like to say, but I think you, we've talked about it enough. I think you get what I'm saying. And for me, it's moving from pure technical conversation around HL7's JSON fire resources. Impressive. impressive. (laughs) Not bad for a clinician, Uh, you know, CCDAs, CDAs, all that kind of stuff to what does it mean for a patient experience? How does it improve care coordination? How does it actually improve the experience of delivering care for a provider because it improves workflows, lessens administrative burden? How does it actually improve the operational fundamentals of a business in healthcare who are on tighter margins now than they've ever been or facing turnover issues with staff like we've never seen uh, pre-pandemic? facing provider shortages in some areas, both physician and non-physician provider shortages, um, are looking at revenues that are potentially decreasing um, and how do they optimize those and protect those, preserve those, and how do they get new revenue sources to value-based care? And to me, all that's why I say it's solving healthcare's biggest problems because all of those things start with the free-flowing clinical information, right? Absolutely. So that that that's that's so what I so let's talk about the definition of interoperability. Just to lay that lay, lay that out a little bit. Give give me your definition of interoperability. Well, I, I'm sure I'd, you know anybody listening to this podcast that's heard me speak before. Maybe I got an eye roll here, but I'll, <laughs> I will say interoperability. One, I look forward to being invited to a podcast where it's not the discussion point. Yes. Uh, imagine going to all these conferences and Bluetooth was the discussion. Nobody, what? It's not interesting, right? And it's because we've looked at interoperability as this thing, and it's not a thing. It's connectivity that drives outcome, to your point. So I would say when it moves from a noun to a verb, we've done our job. I've done my job. When I'm not invited to another podcast to talk about interoperability, I've done my job because that means it's real. Or well, we listen, gave up one of the two. But back I, to I know that's not you're my co host, so I, we, we, I, <laughs> well, I get a better gonna, topic. I hope you're not piece of that today <laughs> based on that. No, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I think you're exactly right. I, I love that analogy. It's interesting because you, you, you buy a home and you go into the home and you don't think for one second. Yeah, how's the power getting in this house? Like, right? <laughs> yeah. Boy, what's the power look like in this house? Is it, you know. Well, unless you're buying a really old home, right? Then you're well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very true. Very true. <laughs> 
But I, but even then, you're expecting power. Exactly. Uh, you're expecting power. You're not walking in expecting candlelight. So, um, yeah. But then it, the house, you make the house your own by the fixtures you put in, the appliances you connect to it, um, et cetera. So it's the same thing with you're, you're selling Bluetooth headphones. Somebody's talking about Bluetooth. Yeah. Right. They're talking about the features of the headphones. Um, uh, real good point. All right. So we agree that 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 there is a necessary evil in promoting interoperability in the first stages of laying the technical framework, the infrastructure for interoperability. But we're at a point now where we've got to begin to have that conversation around impact so that we're actually generating interest in the impact of interoperability in patients. In my opinion, patients, is your doctor no two connected? Why is that important? It's important because if they're not no two connected, they may not have all the allergies, all the medications, and all the line of sight into everything that's, that's going right. on. Um, and it may improve safety to be um, a note to connected. So patients have a, a perspective there. Providers have a perspective there. Are our workflows as simple as they could be? Do I have the information I need in front of me? I'm thinking in a value-based space, do I have the CT scan that was ordered last week so that I can actually make a decision around it without having to order another one? Because at the point of care, if I'm responsible for making a decision about abdominal pain, I want all the information that I think I need. CT scan from last week would be very helpful, but if I can't get it, get I'm probably going to order it because yep. I need to make a clinical decision and I don't want to be wrong, yep. right? So um, so, so I think there's so many different things, uh, and I think the time is down. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's have some discussion around the impact uh, of interoperability in those four areas that we alluded to really related to business fundamentals, provider experience, what I think is critical, patient experience, and then setting the stage perhaps for its impact in value-based uh, care as we move forward. Great. We'll be right back. Hey, Maddie, what's going on? How can I help you today? I think my allergies are acting up. I've had a runny nose for a few days now and my eyes are itching, uh, but I don't have a fever or any other symptoms. Okay. Well, honestly, after examining your symptoms and examining you, I think you're in great health. And I think your allergies may just be acting up, but honestly, some allergy medication should really just do the trick. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you. Of course. Let me take a quick look at your chart just to confirm your meds and your allergies, and then I can get that sent to your pharmacy for you electronically. That way you can pick it up on your way home. Okay. Thank you. No problem. Um, Maddie, I see from your chart here that you went to urgent care three months ago for a similar complaint, and they thought you may have had a sinus infection and gave you an antibiotic and a decongestant. Oh, yeah, that's right. I totally forgot to tell you about that. I was at the beach with my family. Um, wait, how are you able to see that? <laughs> I can see that because our EHR is actually no two connected. So what that means is that we can share clinical information with other providers electronically and automatically. So essentially, no matter where you go, I'll have line of sight into your care. And I can also send your records electronically to others if they need them while they're caring for you. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I've never heard of anything like that before. But it's great to know that you're looking out for me no matter where I go. Of course, we have the ability to connect with anyone, so it helps us make better clinical decisions and truly just keep our patients safe. So in your case, the records I received indicated an allergic reaction to the antibiotic. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do now. Um, I broke out into a rash and had to go back for additional evaluation and treatment, um, but it was really painful. I was itchy all over and I wasn't able to get any of my work done throughout the day. 
Yeah, I can imagine. Let me do this for you. I'm going to include that allergy in my chart here. That way your record is up to date and complete, and it will avoid anyone giving you that same medication going forward. That would be great. Sorry, I totally forgot to mention that. No, it's okay. Don't apologize. It happens all the time. We're all busy and we just honestly forget stuff. Yeah, you're right. Thank you. No problem. And trust me when I say we have your back because we're no two connected. You're safer. We can see all of your care even when you can't remember it. Getting no two connected gives you the freedom to unlock your potential and improve patient safety. Visit us at no2.com for more information and to see providers in your area waiting to connect with you. Connect. Listen. Transform. This is Notify with your host, Dr. Peter Shuck and Teresa Bell. We've been talking about interoperability, kind of defined it and said, hey, it's time to start moving from the technical conversation to an impact conversation. And as we left the the, the group uh, right before break, we were talking about impact across four big areas, uh, as I see it. Uh, there may be others, but there's a simple way to kind of bucket it. Number one is, I do believe that the free flow of clinical information through interoperability framework that's been created and that No2 is uh, enabled allows improvement in business fundamentals. And we can talk specifically about what that means, expense management and, and revenue optimization. Second bucket is really provider experience. I know this is something you're passionate about. When I met you back in 2014, this was one of the real missions you were on for doing this communication and making sure physicians had the right information. And so that's really important. And I think there's a lot we can talk about in that space. The third one is really around the patient experience. And people may think that it's not that important in patients. How does free-flowing clinical information have anything to do with uh, patient experience? Well, Number one, it can flow to patients. Number two, uh, helps coordination and other things. We'll talk about that, patient safety, as we discussed. And then lastly, I do think it begins to make healthcare providers and provider organizations relevant in a changing marketplace for value-based care in the future. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, you look, if you wanted to attack yeah, each d- one d- of those. Yeah, d- jump into it. Let's, let's start with the business fundamental piece for a second. Well, I think it, it's funny because some would say, could it could a just take any company, any company? Can they can they run without being on the internet? And the answer would be like, no. I mean, yeah, well, you, you get a, it. We, every time you say that, it really occurs to me. Uh, my practice wasn't on the internet from a standpoint of clinical yeah. information. Get your, and that's true today. And people and the internet's scary, right, for healthcare because yeah. we're protecting yeah, PHI. I can so see that, that that correlation is scary for yep. people. But that is the truth: is any general business take it outside of healthcare cannot function without being on the internet, being connected in certain in certain ways through the internet. Uh, and that is exactly a business fundamental of healthcare is you look at everything that we've done and all the cost, all the burden that no matter where you sit in the care continuum, the burden that's been brought in because we're not connected and it's through the internet. So we're not connected. The burden that's in that's so expensive to run an organization like because we don't have free flowing information. So you build processes around a fax machine. You build processes around getting data off of a fax page into an EHR. We used to use phone calls, right? I mean, phone calls and you the replication of work to point to your CT data or do you point to somebody making a phone call to get information on a patient? Just the continued replication uh, and manual process that we build around and the cost Maybe hard to identify the exact cost, of it, but the cost, and then the opportunity cost of what you can't do with it. Um, to me, it's it's an ROI has to be looked at from truly hard cost savings because there is absolutely tangible savings with interoperability and connectivity 
but also the opportunity loss that you have. I can't change my business. I can't do anything unless I have data flowing in and out of my business. Yeah. You're, you yeah. can't start a digital transformation without that. Yeah, really important. So, and, and I just, I want to emphasize something. I didn't want to interrupt you in your flow, but, but, but something you said just was profound to me because a lot of people have cloud-based DHRs. Mm -hmm. But you're still not on the internet from nope. the standpoint of free exchange. Of not, not how we think about the internet. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really, uh, really a profound statement. So let's get into the business fundamentals a little bit more. So we talk about the business fundamentals in my mind being impacted, uh, expense management. And I'm a physician. I'm not an accountant and I'm not a technologist. <laughs> so I like to bucket things in big, simple areas. So delve into that a little bit. So expense management. Um, uh, how can interoperability really impact expense management in an organization? Well, you just look at the bodies. Just take one simple equation. The bodies that you apply towards the intake of a patient, the referral of a patient, getting them scheduled, getting them, getting the information so your clinicians, whether you're a physician or you might be a nurse, if you're in a home setting, you, you, whatever your, your clinician is, making sure they're prepared. The manual labor, the expense, in, because you're not connected, yeah. and getting the prep work done yeah. to have a patient come in when you could take 60 to 70% of that process out and relieve your staff, by the way, to do because more important things. the information flows and auto-populates or at least comes in and is in a central area that you can look at within your workflow, right? Right. That's right. And yeah. then the opportunity cost to go to the other side is if I don't have that information, so I can save just baseline cost savings, right? The opportunity cost is without the free-flowing information. What don't I know about my patient? Is there a patient safety risk? Yeah. What could I be doing different in my care model? Um, I sat in, I think you and I participated in a, in a panel for a, a home group where the staffing shortage, they're having to define new care models on how they get into the home and how they do it more uh, faster. And they can't just put bodies. They can't apply bodies. That's to where my head was going to remembering that and thinking about the fact when you're talking about the, it, the time piece, referrals, intake, and so forth. I think about those circumstances that it may, it may be a process because of the manual collection of information from various sources. It may take an hour, hour and a half or longer now. If all that information freely flowed to a point where you could, if even if it wasn't pre-populated initially, but it was in a central area where you could look it. at it or where you could look at that information and that got down to a half an hour, you could potentially do three assessments in the point where you're doing one now, right? Yep. So, now you're not turning away the business because you have enough resources to actually go to the next one and bring the next referral in, bring the next assessment in. So absolutely, from my perspective, real important in terms of expensive management, uh, the FTE costs, and it's not about eliminating FTEs for heaven's sake, it's about decreasing their administrative burden so we can actually put them to work right. doing the things that they were intended to do and that actually drive further revenue opportunities yep. and further patient care opportunities and improvements. So. Uh, from a revenue optimization perspective, to me, it's a, it's a matter of relevance, right? As healthcare moves more toward a digital environment with the need for um, significant, um, uh, w w with health systems and others wanting to move toward digital uh, uh, transformation, I'm going to have to be on the internet to be able to receive things electronically from them send, to do yep. business with them, right? Or to send to them, yep. uh, to do business with them. Um, additionally, they're going to want to have line of sight into the work we do. So I think to me, from a revenue optimization perspective, there certainly is this idea that, hey, I probably could do more business and be more relevant to my partners in the future and therefore have a competitive advantage in that space 
uh, moving forward. I'll tell you another area for revenue optimization that isn't workflow related, uh, quite frankly. Um, when I think about our post-acute partners um, uh, out there and my post-acute provider colleagues out there who are in a world of value-based purchasing where Absolutely. they have certain um, information and uh, metrics that they need to meet in order to preserve their current level of fee-for-service reimbursement uh, under value-based purchasing, some of those things are directly impacted by the free flow of clinical information. Readmissions, uh, one of the most common causes for readmissions in, uh, from the post-acute space is not having the right information at discharge, specifically around meds, right, um, and, 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 and timely initiation of care. Those types of things can get resolved if you have the information you need freely flowing uh, from the hospital institution or the post-acute institution uh, to the other post-acute institution. So significant there in terms of revenue protection and optimization moving forward. And then I think there's a whole revenue diversification play in value-based care. Yep. Um, if uh, post-acute entities and other, if, if all of healthcare gets connected the way they should and has full access and line of sight into the entire continuum around the patient, man, there's a real opportunity uh, uh, to generate a different revenue stream through success and value-based arrangements of some nature, whether it be direct risk arrangements or um, uh, other types of arrangements. So uh, let's talk about the provider experience. I'm going to let you start that one. I know I'm a provider and one of the things that endeared me, I think, to No2's philosophy was when I met you and John, the CEO, um, and you guys were heck bent on improving my experience as a provider and doing the work that I did. And that's something that touched me. And I think it, it's expanded such since then. And I think it's something we really need to talk about because I think it's a core of what we're trying to do. It, um, for me, I'll say as, as the co-founder, because people always ask, and I think one of the and it's not bad, but one of the main things that many companies go into business for is to change the patient experience, right? That's their that's their first and foremost stated goal. And that is not true for me. That was not true for starting this organization. Um, it was... Can I can I stop you right there? Because I, I we've had the benefit of many, many conversations around this, right? Yes. And I don't want to leave this audience with thinking that we are not concerned about patient outcomes. Uh, absolutely not. I would say that it is our philosophy that in order to actually provide patients the outcome they need, we first have to provide providers the outcome they need, right? And uh, address the provider experience, make sure they have what they need to do their job right. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go with yeah. it. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I don't want, I, I, you, you, you said thought, it better than I did. No, so that's I exactly I, right. I, I don't think I did, but I, I just, because uh, I, I think that could be, it could be a harsh statement because it feels so vogue to talk about the patient experience and patient outcomes. I'm a provider, and to be honest with you, I think those are table stakes, right? I mean, I've got to, I've got to, I hope everybody grants me that I'm in this to do the right thing for patients and improve outcomes. Uh, if I'm not, I've got a bigger issue. Right? Well, healthcare is dead in the water without a provider, right? And, and making sure, especially as we're, we're facing into provider shortages and we're facing into the expansion of services and requirements sitting on the provider that we have to enable the best care environment for them. And that is absolutely what started the, the organization. And to the point you made, uh, even though it sounds harsh, it wasn't the patient first for us, and it's still not the patient first. It is, we know that the one of the benefactors of putting the provider first, caring for the provider, making sure they're enabled is the patient, uh, along with many other 
people that will benefit from it and many other organizations by making sure we're maximizing the provider experience. And that is absolutely what drives the organization, but not to diminish at all the need for patient care. No, I love that. I mean, when I met you, 50% of of my time spent uh, was on administrative work um, and 50% on patient care. And when I say patient care, either direct facing patient care or assimilating information to make complex medical decisions on the behalf of patients, uh, those kinds of things. And, and man, that shouldn't be. Yeah. That shouldn't be. And uh, that's where most of the burnout comes from, right? It's yeah, just absolutely. so overwhelming to providers. Can we focus to solving that problem? And it just, it feels like a table stick yeah. to me that that's a table stick. And the truth is, I think why this is a conversation now, even after 20 years of electronic health records, meaningful use and all that stuff, is because the EHR didn't solve this problem. No. The EHR is not digital transformation, free-flowing clinical information. And that's not, again, not demonizing EHRs, but that didn't create digital transformation in healthcare, right? I mean, it was a step in a piece, yep. but it's not digital transformation. And so, um, yeah, I, 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 it's, not, it's not a wonder to me that it isn't solved um, uh, yet because we didn't really talk about it. We, we, I think we all got kind of lured into the idea that, well, we're electronic now with our health records, so we must be digital, you know, everything's digital. Well, and there were, I mean, in in fairness to everything that's been done over the last 15 years and the money that's been put in, you had to build the foundation. And yeah, if electronic health records weren't there and you weren't capturing the data, I had nothing to exchange. Yeah. Uh, so that, all these steps that are taken, and it's just a long play. It's a long play to get there, is we got to make sure everybody's capturing the information and capturing it well. And then we'll start to build the infrastructure to be able to share it. And then we'll start sharing it. And then we're going to start improving it. What gets shared? Because not everything needs to be shared. Yep. You know, it's just these series of steps. It's a series of steps to get to a digital transformation for healthcare in general. So one more side, then I'll get back to the provider experience and have you give some examples of where you think it uh, may manifest itself in terms of provider experience, um, uh, if possible. But, you know, interoperability, we talk about it as if it's a new concept over the last 20 years. Every provider I've ever worked with has been interoperable, but it's been interoperable in a manual, non-digital way. Uh, and technology has enabled a new way to be interoperable um, that if we take advantage of can actually save us time, money, um, and improve our overall outcomes. You know, it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. You can drill a hole with a manual drill. Just takes you a long time. Yeah, how really many, painful. How many people do that now, right? <laughs> yeah. um, because we have a power drill, right, right, to do it. Wow, we have the ability to exchange electronically. Why aren't we doing it? Yeah, we're kind of used to doing it the other way, you know. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, so let's go back to the provider experience. I want to uh, uh, march through this real quick here. Not real quick, but I want to march through this with an understanding uh, specifically. So provider experience is really around workflows. Yes. Workflows and data accessibility. Yeah. So having the right information at the right time in the provider's workflow, meaning in their EHR, is absolutely foundational for getting the benefits we think about in terms of decreasing administrative burden, improving clinical decision making, um, and lowering uh, total cost or total spend. Yes. How about the patient experience? What do we think about the patient experience? What impact do you see uh, from that perspective? Yeah. And so even though I had said that wasn't our, it's not our first stated focus, we know that they're going to be a benefactor of everything that's happening. Uh, and some of it, I, just like all the conversations we're having, the patient experience, we have some real basic fundamentals that have to be solved to get to the innovative patient experience, right? We have just 
having a patient, and I, and I know this well uh, with my parents, uh, but having a patient be able to transition from one care setting, we've been talking about this forever, but literally transition from one care setting to the next and not have to be worried, did my information make it? What information does this provider see? Yeah. What are they going to, what are they going to order or not order based upon, you know, what's the risk I have? That is fundamental to patient care. That, that is the number one focus to solve that problem. But out of that and out of the connectivity, then you can start to uh, really innovate on the patient experience, get them engaged, let them self-schedule, let them self-serve. Uh, and you actually spending some time with you over the course of the last, you know, years that we've spent, one of the things that you, you said to me that really hit to me is, is being able to curate, much like when you go to Instagram or you go to some other social platforms, it knows me as an individual. Yeah, it starts yeah, yeah. to curate the experience. Well, there's no reason that healthcare can't do that, where we start to be able to curate experiences based upon what we know about that patient. Appropriate appropriately so, offerings, right? Appropriately so. Offerings, those kinds of things. Um, yeah. yeah, not not moving into worlds where information is, is used inappropriately, but appropriately, you know, help them manage their care. Uh, as much as they can and put it, put the power in their hands. Yeah. Yeah. We call those healthcare prompts or preventative care prompts, not marketing. It's not, it's not selling somebody something they don't need. It's recommending, Hey, here's how you treat your diabetes. Here's some things you need right. to do and those kind of things. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a real opportunity in the future as well. So I'm going to just touch on the value-based care one and then we'll, we'll take a quick break. But I think on the value-based care piece to me, the market in healthcare is moving. And I know that there have been folks in population health and value-based care for the last 20 years who, like Chicken Little, have said, fee-for-service is dying. You got to go to value-based <laughs> care. I'm not here to ring that bell because I don't think fee-for-service will ever completely die. And even in socialized healthcare systems or single-party payers, there's still a black market of fee-for-service, right? So I don't think fee-for-service is ever going to completely die. But I do think value is here to stay. And I do think value is here to stay because of two important facts. There are two two main payers for healthcare in this country, or purchasers of healthcare in this country. The first one's the federal government uh, through CMS, right? Taxpayer dollars given to CMS to manage Medicare and Medicaid. The second one is the self-funded employer, who, if you have a job, is likely paying the lion's share of your healthcare premium. We call these United Healthcare, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Cigna, Aetna, and so forth, and others payers. They're not really payers. They're just moving the money. Right from the premium they collect to the provider who provided the service, right? And there's an administrative fee that they have to take off the top. And that's not demonizing them. That's just their role, right? They're not payers. They're not purchasers of healthcare. Now they purchase on behalf of, but they're not purchasers. So it's interesting because those two big purchasers of healthcare are under significant pricing pressure, um, more so since the pandemic, but it's increased over the last 20 years progressively to a point where we're beginning to see some pretty significant cracks in the armor and some pretty significant things come out that says, hey, this is not sustainable anymore. And I'll give you a couple examples. Number one, uh, from 2010 to 2030, in those 20 years, the Medicare beneficiaries went from 33 million and will go to 66 million, double wow. the number of medical, Medicare beneficiaries. The cost of care for a Medicare beneficiary on average was about $125,000 2010. It's going to move to about $260,000 uh, in 2030. When you think about that, and then you say the burden of disease in 2010 per Medicare beneficiary, meaning each individual person had about 1.4, 1.5 diseases, chronic diseases. That burden's now going to be about 2.1, 2.2 chronic diseases in 2030. So not quite a doubling, but a significant increase in the burden of disease, largely led by obesity, diabetes, and some of the impacts there. And then 
if those three facts weren't enough to say, hey, we've got a looming challenge here in healthcare, each one of those beneficiaries on average would live a year and a half longer. So life expectancy is longer. So take that first set of facts, okay? Second set of facts. 19%, one-fifth of every dollar in this country, nearly one-fifth, is spent on healthcare services. Now, that's a big number. Huge. Trillions yeah. of dollars. Big number. And you think, well, okay, that's a lot. What does that mean? Well, there have been plenty of studies over the last two decades that indicate that about 33% of that care is low-value care or waste wow. in the system, meaning it has no value in diagnosis, treatment management, prognosis, or quality of life. So why would we do it, right? Why do I order another CT scan when one was done just a week ago, wow. right? Um, all those kind of things. So when you think about that, that's the second set of facts. One-fifth of every dollar spent on healthcare, 33% of that spend is considered waste. The first set of facts was we got a huge aging population that's going to move into Medicare and the cost of care for them, the burden of disease, and their lifespan is going up significantly. And then the last piece in my mind is really the understanding that there is a significant margin pressure in most businesses coming out of the pandemic for a couple of unique reasons. One is simply that it's costing more to employ people. Minimum wage is going up and so forth, right? So those expenses to actually run a business have gone up significantly Way, uh, the, and outstrip their pricing increases, right? So the margins have decreased a little bit. And then secondly, when you think about that, as I, as I look at the, the challenge with increased wages, prices not increasing the same, they're looking for solutions to maintain their margins. And if I'm a business owner and I know that I'm spending 19% of my dollar on healthcare for my employees, I'm going to want to start getting lower prices for my health care, right? So whether it's fee-for-service value-based care, I'm looking to lower my spend, right? Um, and so that means either we're going to come and contract for lower rates, we're going to go direct to employer and cut out the middleman, or we're going to contract and put you at risk for some of the, uh, some of the spend. So those three market forces are, are dictating a lot of programmatic change across the healthcare system that I think necessitate the free flow of clinical information to solve those problems because I can't improve every one of those tenants of value-based care programs has the triple aim, right? And we, we, we get, it feels so passe to talk about it. I think yeah. I said from didn't the state. Didn't move to the quadruple aim. No, well, yeah, we, we, <laughs> that's a good point. We did move to the quadruple aim, but we're focused on that fourth one, the program experience. <laughs> No we needed more, it. you know. Yeah, more but, but it's it's funny because I said from the stage the other day, and I think I didn't explain what I meant. I said I'm tired of using those phrases. Um, they, they they don't mean as much as they should. That's why I'm tired of them. They become so commonplace. Yeah. We don't get beyond that to really understand what we can do. That's what I love about the interoperability because the interoperability, as we just talked about, improves provider experience in the quadruple aim, improves patient experience, reduces cost, and improves business fundamentals. Bam. Yep. Wow. How, how, much, how much readier can we be for value-based care once we're interoperable, right? Lots of other things to do, but that's a, to me, it's table stakes. And we've said this before. We'll say it again here. And I don't care what the analogy is. You wouldn't buy a laptop without Wi-Fi. Um, you wouldn't um, uh, buy a car without a seatbelt or an airbag, whatever it is. Interoperability, the ability to get your EHR on the internet, your practice on the internet, and start exchanging information digitally is no longer a nice to have. It's not an option. It should be a standard consideration Absolutely. for how you do business. Table stake. Yeah.
Yeah, absolutely right. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and sum up and, and talk about maybe some practical ways to think about how you get started getting connected. Hey, everyone. My name is Matt Becker, VP of Interoperability at No2. I wanted to take a moment to introduce our connectivity report. Did you ever wonder who in your area you could connect with digitally and reduce the manual activities associated with clinical information exchange? Well, simply visit no2.com, click the link for connectivity report, then enter your name, email, and zip code, and we'll send you a report to show those providers and provider organizations already connected and waiting for you to join them. Take the first step to getting No2 connected. It's free, takes less than 30 seconds, and will spark digital transformation that could revolutionize your business. There's even a how-to video to make sure you get the most from the report. Connect. Listen. Transform. This is Notify with your host, Dr. Peter Shuck and Teresa Bell. Well, welcome back, everybody, from break. Uh, we really appreciate you staying with us through this conversation today. It's been a great conversation um, and uh, our initial podcast. Uh, so uh, there's much more to and come. A great place to be a seated. Great place to be. Great place <laughs> to be. Um, and But before we close out today, uh, I, Teresa, one of the things that always, uh, you know, we talk about kind of what is the ethos of our podcast. You know, we want it to be real conversation, authentic, energetic, engaging, educational, yes. But we also want to leave with some pragmatic next steps, right? It's great to talk about ethereal things and all these different things, but man, if I'm somebody out there, whether I'm a, uh, uh, working for a, an EHR vendor, working for a platform company, a provider in my office, what are some things that I can begin to do to get started? Maybe from that provider perspective to start with. Yeah, that, I get asked that question a lot because um, it, it probably feels overwhelming to people. I can't I can't close the gap. What do you mean? You're, you're talking about this. I don't know the first step to take. And the first step is actually pretty pragmatic. Um, it's not this magical formula. And if you visit our website and you visit our website, no2.com, you'll have the option you'll see on the website to click on what we call a connectivity analysis. Uh, and you, in there, you'll put in your, just simply put in your zip code and we'll show you, we'll create a report, deliver it to your email. We'll show you in your area who is at least vocally, I'll say they're listed in the directories, interoperable. And you'll be astounded at what the list looks like. Meaning if they're listed on the internet, you'll see the it, other people. That that's you right. There, there's very specific directories on the internet that say this provider has this capability to communicate electronically. So if you think about it like a national you know, email directory, that's not what it is, but think about it that way. It's these national directories that we will show in this report for you. And you know now, if you put in your zip code, we'll generate the report, deliver it to your email. You can look in alphabetical order and find the partners the providers that you communicate with, it's kind of the 80-20 rule, I always say, and then you go to your fax workflows because fax is the tracer. It's the tracer of all the communication you have going in and out of your organization. You may be doing some other things over phone calls, but start with the fax and look to say, here's the 80% of the providers that I communicate the most with every day, every week, every month. Correlate those names to the connectivity analysis and say, do they show up? And if they do, pick up the phone, have a conversation and figure out how you can communicate. You'll, they'll give you things like addresses and we'll have a whole section. We'll have a, uh, a separate area where you can go to, to get specific instruction on how to get, how to apply yeah, the connectivity we'll analysis. Video so they can uh, um, break out the connectivity analysis. But start with the website, go get your, go get your connectivity analysis, no2.com, click on the connectivity analysis button and, and it'll take you from there. Love that. And why is fax analysis the place to start with? Cause it is the number one, way to know who you communicate with. 
on, and it, I always say the most intelligence sits in your fax workflows, which of course I always get like strange looks when I say that because it's thought it's not thought about, right? Fax is separate, but absolutely. That's what we're doing is we're transitioning fax to different types of workflows because you're not going to change your who you're doing business with, right. who you're coordinating care right. with. You're going to change how you're coordinating right. care with him. And it's and such a repository it. of information because I think a stat you've sh- shared with me many times is about 70% of healthcare communication is still done by fax. Yeah, whether depending on where you sit in the continuum. It's whether amazing. Whether it's manual or digital, yeah. right? Uh, it, it changes, you know, ebbs and flows. Um, in, in more mainstream healthcare, it may it may be a little bit less than that. Yeah. But in some parts of healthcare, it's almost 100%. Yeah. Uh, and That's crazy. That's craziness. So. It, it, it really feels weird. Yeah, it really feels weird that in 2023 we're uh, talking about that. So uh, thank you so much for being with us. We've had a great uh, oppor- uh, great time discussing uh, these things with you guys. Uh, we'll be back for another episode here in just a couple of weeks and look forward to having you all as listeners. Uh, have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us today. That's a wrap for this episode. Please subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast platform to make sure you don't miss an episode. Get No Two Connected today and set yourself and your organization free to unlock your potential. For more information on the value of being No Two Connected, visit us at www.no2.com. Follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter. Connect. Listen. Transform. Transform.